Welcome to another informative episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. My name is Carl Potts. I'm former executive editor and editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics. As executive editor, I ended up overseeing a third of Marvel's publishing line, and I was overseeing groups of editors as opposed to directly editing the books themselves. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? There's also people who produce online comics that are successful enough and get enough attention that traditional publishers come in and make deals to do print editions or collections of, of all those work. And then people hope for that call from Hollywood where someone says they want to buy the rights and turn it into this, that, or the other thing, which is uh, its own two-edged sword. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and not joining me today is our co-host, Fred Keating, because Fred is in Toronto, Canada, while I'm in Banff, Canada, and we're at the Story Summit, which is being hosted by the Alberta Media Production Industries Association and the Banff Centre. It's a lovely venue. There are many people here from around North America and a few from other parts of the world as well to talk about storytelling. And we are very privileged to have a special guest with us right now. His name is Carl Potts. He's the former executive editor of Marvel Comics. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Carl, tell me about this role that you were in previously as the executive editor of Marvel Comics. What did that involve? Well, I first started out as a line editor where we edited, uh, I edited, uh, directly edited a, a series of comics for Marvel. And then as executive editor, I ended up overseeing a third of Marvel's publishing line. And I was overseeing groups of editors as opposed to directly editing the books themselves. And uh, I was in charge of... Uh, overseeing the overall strategy for those titles and developing those intellectual properties, as well as the editors working on them and the creative teams, also dealing with things like budgets, being involved with marketing efforts and all those associated activities. Also, we help deal with licensors of the comics intellectual properties and helping them make sure that they're doing our best to make sure that they uh, got their efforts correct when they were trying to utilize those properties for other products or media incarnations. Are you a management person then who is somebody who just happened to get into managing creative industry sort of things? Or are you actually a creative person that moved up into management? I'm definitely on the creative side, but I believe that I have uh, strengths in both areas. And uh, that's probably why I was promoted, because I was very good at finding and developing good creative and also good creative talent, but I was also very good at uh, making the trains run on time. That is, unfortunately, a very rare combination. <laughs> so uh, I think it was recognized, and uh, I was asked to take over uh, one of the executive editor positions. That for, during the height of Marvel's publishing success, there were three executive editors, and we each oversaw a third of Marvel's publishing. That was frustrating in some ways because I was another layer removed from directly working on most of the creative products, but it was also rewarding because I was able to help the company develop their 
staff and the intellectual properties that it was using uh, concentrate on those areas more than I, I could when I was uh, line editing. Now, you just finished up your presentation, as a matter of fact, and I think intellectual property was one of your themes. What do you want to tell our listeners about intellectual property? Well, on the entertainment side, intellectual property means uh, the stories and the characters and the worlds that you create, making sure that they're compelling, hopefully to a wide audience, and that the workings of the worlds themselves that you're creating, there's internal story logic, things that if you're introducing elements, particularly fantastic elements, whether it's fantasy or science fiction elements, that uh, they resonate throughout the world that you've created in a way that makes sense and is logical, as opposed to having uh, those fantastic elements affect things when it's convenient for you, but then ignoring them when they're inconvenient, which creates an unsatisfying sense of that world being holistic and, and ringing true with the, with the audience. Okay, Carl, so let's say I'm a young writer and I want to develop a comic book or a graphic novel or anything really, and it does involve illustrations. So should I go out there and should I find myself an illustrator to collaborate with and then work on the product and bring the product to a publisher? Or should I pitch that product to the publishing company and expect them to hook me up with an illustrator and take the project from there? Mostly it's a, it's what your approach is going to be is going to be based on what you ultimately want to accomplish. If you're creating an original intellectual property, entertainment intellectual property, that you want to own and control, you don't want to take it to a company that specializes in company-owned, uh, work-for-hire type publishing. If you're not doing the writing and the drawing all on your own, is to find the right collaborator, and I emphasize write, uh, because if uh, you're strong on the writing side but the art is weak or vice versa, it's going to greatly inhibit the chances of uh, this thing being able to have success in the marketplace. And then you have a, a number of choices these days. You can try and self-publish with traditional style print, or you can, these days, there's so many easy and cheap ways to publish digitally, or you can team up with a current publisher who does create her own comics. But these days, that's difficult financially because on creator-owned stuff, very few, if any, workers on creator-owned work will be able to get an advance from the publisher because uh, sales in the comic book business these days for most books are pretty low, unless you happen to be working on one of the few real big hits. Therefore, there's usually no advance involved, and you're working on a pure back-end royalty deal. So the hope is that the book will sell enough down the road that uh, the royalties, your cut of the royalties, will make it financially worthwhile for you to do so. And that means you have to either have enough financial you know, security to last that long and take that gamble, or you've got to combine working on your creative work with working on some other sort of business area in order to supply you with what you need to make your living. When I got started in working in comics, my speed at drawing comics was very slow. And so I made my living drawing storyboards, which I could draw at a much faster pace and make a lot more money. I could get as much money for drawing a single panel of a storyboard as I could for penciling a full page of comics. It could take me three days to pencil a page of comics till I got it to the point where I was satisfied with it. Uh, and it could take me an hour to do a full color frame from a storyboard. 
So I worked on a lot of storyboards for ad agencies, and um, in the evenings and on weekends, I worked on my my personal comics projects. That's how I made my living for for quite a while by balancing those things together. Even the, though the storyboards weren't particularly that much fun to do in some ways, you know, you can only draw people holding up cartons of Minute Maid or bottles of Bufferin or whatever so many times before you get bored, it's still visual storytelling, which is much better than pumping gas or digging ditches. And it's a lot closer to what I ultimately want to do than than almost any other activity. It helped sharpen my basic visual storytelling skills, which I later incorporated into the comics work I was much more passionate about. If you're creating new stories or ideas for intellectual properties that are owned by uh, a major publisher, it's much more difficult to break in now than it used to be. Uh, most places aren't accepting submissions. So the best way to get kind of discovered by them is to self-publish because odds are if something's starting to catch fire online, somebody at the companies is going to start paying attention and, and your name will pop up and they'll start having recognition. And that way, if you do meet any of those editors at a... Um, convention say, then you've got sort of a, an end to begin the, your discussion with as opposed to being one of 500 people saying, oh, I want to write comics and I've got a million great ideas and you're at the end of a, a line that's a mile long. So you really need to invest in yourself then. You need to put in the speculative work to develop your own ideas, try to build your own audience, and then try to get the attention of publishers at that point? Generally, yes, but even if you're not creating original intellectual properties, even if you're continuing to work, uh, you're doing work that uh, continues existing intellectual properties owned by somebody else, as long as you're you're honing your, your writing talents, there are people that, you know, do f- fan fiction on speculated are still honing their skills. Now, we talked about your own career in the past, about how you worked on storyboards and how you worked in the ad agency business. Is this something that you would recommend to young writers, to young illustrators and designers who have an interest in developing their own intellectual property, but in the meantime, as you said, it's better than pumping gas. Um, Some people might consider that to be selling out but you are working in your field and you are developing your skills. Yeah, I think uh, if you have a choice between doing something that can make a, uh, a living for yourself that's somewhat related to the field you want to ultimately go in, uh, that's generally preferable than making a, a living at something that you really have no interest in whatsoever. But it depends on each person's personality. It's like for some people it might be working in an area that's so close to what they want to do it's it's actually more frustrating than if they were working on something that was totally unrelated because they're so close and they can almost see it and taste it, but it's just out of reach. Uh, so it depends on the individual personalities. But for me, it was much better to be working on the storyboards because they were so closely related to the comic book visual storytelling. You know, I think you used that phrase a few moments ago, get in line. But where do you think opportunities are for young writers and young illustrators and such? I think a lot of it is in self-publishing online, digitally online. That can be in of its own you know, ultimate goal and, and the ends, but it can also serve, if you want, as uh, a possible way to break into working with more traditional publishers. There's also people who produce online comics that are successful enough and get enough attention that traditional publishers come in and make deals to do print editions or collections of, of all those work. And then, you know, everybody or a lot of people hope for that, you know, call from Hollywood where someone says they want to buy the rights and turn it into this, that, or the other thing. 
which is uh, its own two-edged sword. It's easy to get sucked into that and hopefully, you know, have a good deal of success in uh, film or television. In most cases, you're giving up a lot of your control over your intellectual property. That can be frustrating. You have to go into those deals with both eyes open and not be fooling yourself into thinking that, uh, yeah, I'm going to sign this and they're going to be faithful to what I'm doing and it's going to come out just like I have it in my head and everything will be, you know, wine and roses and that very rarely happens. Carl, let's talk a little bit more about that idea of self-publishing. So again, let's say I'm that young writer and I've decided that I'm going to collaborate with an illustrator. So I go out there and I find an illustrator. Now, how should I structure that? Should I structure that as somebody who's working for me as a subcontractor or should I hire that person as an employee or should it be some kind of business partnership? It depends on the individual project and how much control you want to retain over it. One of the intellectual properties I created was called Alien Legion, which ran as a creator-owned title and for Marvel's Epic imprint for a lot of years. And I had two co-creators on there that helped me develop it. My deal with them is that uh, I retained the control over the property and I guaranteed them X percentage of any exploitation of the work. They were agreeable to that, and that's how we've done things moving forward. There are times, it depends a lot on the individual product project and the people involved, because if you're writing a story and everything is fleshed out and you're hiring someone to draw it, that could be if you wanted a, an almost work-for-hire situation, but that means you have to compensate that person to make it worth their while to do it. And if you've got the, the financial means to do that, that's great. If you don't, then you have to try and see if uh, leveraging a piece of the action of either to the property itself or percentage of the property itself or a percentage of any royalties that might come from the sale of that specific incarnation of the product, that, that issue that they work on. You have to try and work out a mutually agreeable contract for that and do have a contract. Don't talk about it and supposedly agree on it and have the mists of time alter your mutual perceptions and that'll just end up causing a lot of grief. Also, you you want to have a clean line of, of, uh, of ownership and control for your intellectual properties because if you ever do get to the point where film or television or online wants to do something, if there's any doubt whatsoever about the lineage, the clean lineage of uh, that intellectual property, they're going to shy away from it. So you need to have all your paperwork done. If you're going to do uh, anything like that, make a deal to take on partners or to hire someone as work for hire. You need to have contracts that are written by an entertainment lawyer specialist or a publishing specialist at least, not by someone you know who's a lawyer in real estate or something like that that says, okay, I'll handle it for you. They need to know what the heck they're talking about and make sure all the bases are covered so that if you, if something does happen down the road, you're ready for it when it comes to making sure that you can show a potential partner or buyer that this property has got all the T's crossed and I's dotted. It sounds like the importance of that can't be overstated because if you do have some intellectual property that you've developed and it's starting to pick up some traction, the world's starting to notice, you're getting readers, you're getting people paying attention, and now you have the attention of a prospective publisher, 
they look at the agreements, it looks a little bit wishy-washy, you're saying they don't want to be pulled into that. Exactly. The last thing they want to do is uh, step into the quicksand of an argument over who controls what and what can be done when and where. Uh, they want everything to be as clean as possible. So that's one of the reasons on uh, on Alien Legion and uh, another project I created called uh, Last of the Dragons, uh, even though I, I work collaboratively with other creators on them. Since as the primary creator, I ended up owning and controlling the whole project while guaranteeing and writing percentages to the other people that were involved in those projects. Any other sage words of wisdom, Carl, in terms of people working on their projects and it's like, oh my goodness, you better get this right or you're going to be stopped dead in your tracks at some point? If you're passionate about what you want to do, don't just think about it or talk about it or, you know, plan to do it, do it. You know, obviously most people have lives to leave, families to deal with, all that sort of thing. And there's always a lot of great excuses to put off moving your projects forward and often viable excuses, valid excuses, but that means they're never going to get done. Or or if they do, it'll be a lot longer down the road than uh, what they could be. So if you can carve out just 45 minutes, an hour a day at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, you know, five days a week, that's pretty reliable, you'll make a lot more progress than you will if you keep waiting for that chance where you can devote a week to your project. It never seems to arrive. Well said. And just to rewind to uh, really a recurring theme here is that you really need to invest in yourself. Even if you are the world's greatest writer, even if you are the world's greatest illustrator, the world isn't going to discover that and start throwing money at you. You're going to need to invest some time and money into your own projects, into your own ideas before the world is, is even going to take notice. Yes, you have to put yourself out there. And these days with the web, that's a heck of a lot easier than it was uh, years years ago. It helps to be a decent human being. There's a lot of people that you know are very talented and put out quality work. But if they're selfish or stuck up, they put on airs, they won't even know how many people that they're alienating that don't approach them to partner with because they're not aware of those people aren't going to approach them. They're just going to go, I don't want to deal with that, that idiot. And they won't even be aware of how many opportunities they've missed. Before we wrap up, Carl, are there any other thoughts that you want to share with our audience, uh, either thoughts of encouragement perhaps or thoughts of caution? It is a lot easier to, to get noticed and break in due to the web than it used to be. But at the same time, it's also more difficult to generate revenue while you're getting started to to do what you want to do by doing what you want to do. So it's a it's a bit of a catch-22 there. So I would say that it's a, it's an interesting balance between dealing with both of those things, the, the, the practical needs of having to support yourself and or your family uh, while pursuing your, your goals. So if you're passionate about it, do your best to, to find the time to move them forward. Uh, like I said, instead of uh, waiting for that perfect time, that's just not going to happen. Splendid. Thanks for joining us today, Carl. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity. 